0: President Donald Trump in Minnesota right now, a lot of folks down in Rochester, a lot of friends down in Rochester taking in the appearance of our president in Minnesota right now at this time. It presents an apropos opportunity for me to explain why I'm wearing the hat that's on my head right now. You can check out the live stream, just go to Facebook, search for Closing Argument with Walter Hudson. Our page will pop up. Give us a like, set your notifications to be notified when we post when we go live. And uh YouTube will be able to behold the Make America Great Again hat setting atop a head who many, including myself, never believed it would set atop. I'm going to get into why here for this first segment. And and it is going to take the whole segment to get into why it is that a guy like me, a guy who by my own description was the most prolific never Trump voice within the Republican Party of Minnesota during the 2016 election, is now wearing the hat, is now a hashtag MAGA and ready to go for these midterms, and you know presumably 2020 as well. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hatson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. We're streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com, and on your iHeartRadio app, we're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. You can catch up with past shows by doing a search for "Closing Argument" in your iHeartRadio app, and our channel will pop up. Got uh, interviews, clips, and all of our programming there for your perusal at your convenience. You can join the conversation tonight six five one nine eight nine five eight five five. Brad Omland taking those calls and producing the show. So, I think. I need to lay the groundwork, give you a little bit of history of my orientation towards Donald Trump in order for you to understand the significance of me wearing this hat. Because, you know, as I say at the outset, this is something that people who know me well and have followed my commentary for the past couple of years probably never would have predicted. I know, I know Brad is a, a little sanguine in my choice to do this. And uh, I I was surprised because this I bought the hat I think it was on what Tuesday, and I put it on my social media. I took a picture of it and said, "Hey, it's happening!" I, I bought the hat because I'd been talking about it here on the show for a couple of days, and the response was fascinating to me. Like I I was fascinated that there was a response because I didn't think anybody was going to care. Certainly not to the extent that they apparently did. But it seems as though I, for for some folks on either side, folks who are critical of Donald Trump, and folks who have long been long supporters of Donald Trump, that I was something of a of a bellwether for them in terms of the direction the winds are shifting, or something along those lines. I don't know how I earned that role in their consideration, but okay, I'll take it. And if that's the case, I probably owe yeah, an explanation as to why it is. After, after these two years of harsh criticism of the president, criticism of him on immigration, criticism of him on tariffs, criticism of his tweeting, his, his demeanor, his engagement uh, with both friend and foe alike, why I would suddenly be putting on the hat and saying, let's make America great again. And I support the president uh, moving forward. And so, you know, just to give you a little bit of this history. In 2016, as the presidential primary process was winding down and it was becoming increasingly apparent that Donald Trump, against all expectation, against all odds, uh, against all prognostication, including my own, was going to become the nominee of the Republican Party for President of the United States, a level of panic started to set in for That was kind of across the board. It was amongst, yes, it was amongst people who were in the establishment, but it was also amongst activists, people who had been part of the Tea Party, people who had been part of the Liberty Movement, the Ron Paul Movement, who had these principles, these libertarian principles, who were interested in fiscal responsibility, constitutionally limited government, free markets, who saw the things that Donald Trump was doing and heard the things that Donald Trump was saying and thought, my Lord, this is not at all what we've been fighting for since the advent of the Tea Party in 2008 and before. You know, This is not the direction we wanted to see our party go. I can't believe this is happening. What's happening in my party? This can't be tolerated. This has to be stopped. And so from that impulse, I went to the state central committee meeting in Duluth for the Republican Party of Minnesota, and as the spokesman for a group of activists, I presented a resolution that if enacted, and it was basically a symbolic resolution, but what it would have done is affirmed the right of activists to determine for themselves which candidates they were going to lend their support towards. So in other words, if you didn't agree with Donald Trump, if you didn't want to be put on the MAGA hat and be all in for Donald Trump, You were still welcome within the party to campaign for whoever you did want to align with. Well, that resolution got defeated and we all know what happened after that. And so an interesting thing happened after Donald Trump won Uh, when Donald Trump won it. Let's just say this. It ended never Trump, right? Because the entire purpose of never Trump was to never have Donald Trump be the president of the United States. Well, once he becomes president of the United States, That's over. Right. So this notion that there's a never Trump thing happening beyond the election of Donald Trump has always struck me as kind of odd, both in terms of people talking about never Trump and people claiming to be never Trump. I mean, it's now Trump. Now he's here. He's the president. So what's the point? Now, being critical of him is one thing. Having having critique or choosing not to support him for whatever reason. okay. But this this sense that out of out of some sort of conviction, you need to be opposed to him and everything that he's done is something that I've never quite understood. And that's never been what I've been about. And I, and I've found it odd that there are people who approach him with that sort of predilection. But nevertheless, you know, here we are two years later and for up until a couple of days ago, I was not, I would not have considered myself to be a supporter of the president. So what's changed? What has changed? I'll tell you what hasn't changed. Let's start with what hasn't changed. I'm still for fiscal responsibility. I'm still for constitutionally limited government. I'm still for free markets. I'm still not a big fan of the tariffs. I still still would push back a little bit on the particulars of what Donald Trump wants on immigration policy. None of that has changed. My positions haven't changed. My principles haven't changed. My vision for how the world ought to be is the same today as it was last week. What has changed is the context. Or, to be more accurate my perception of the context in order to understand this you have to you have to consider the difference between the mentality that one maintains during peacetime versus the mentality that somebody adopts during wartime in peacetime you can set your sights toward peaceful goals towards constructive goals towards the building and maintaining of civilization and institutions. And you can concern yourself with things like decorum and civility and responsibility and all these lovely things that are good and fantastic and ought to be pursued and ought to be chased after, ought to be lifted up and celebrated. But during wartime, during wartime, your scope of concern narrows significantly, more or less to one thing which is survival, survival, and peace. You know, Reagan had his slogan, peace through strength. What that means is that in order to get to the peace where you have the luxury to pursue those fine and wonderful things, decorum and civility and dignity and what have you, in order to get to that, you first have to get through the war by obtaining victory. That's the mentality that you have to have. This is why we were allies with Stalin during World War II. This is why we endured George Patton despite his personal flaws, his colorful language and his tendency to, to knock soldiers over the head when they were displaying what he would call cowardice, right? There, there, you tolerate a different quality of person, a different character of leader in a context where you need their strength in order to achieve victory, in order to ensure your survival. The context changes. And historically, there have always been those in times of crisis, in times where war was dawning, there have always been those who have been reluctant to engage with what was apparent. Right, Like when you see war coming on the horizon, an example of this is uh, John Adams. John Adams was not an early adopter of the American Revolution. He was not somebody who was gung-ho and eager to to break out the guns and start shooting at the English. It's shooting at the British. And this is a guy who was brought up under the, the British law, who was a lawyer himself, who had a certain reverence for the, the customs and culture of the British, and who wanted to see a peaceful resolution to the differences between the colonists and the empire. When it became apparent that that peace was not possible, that war was upon them, whether they risk it or not, John Adams changed his tune. And you can see cases like this throughout history under such circumstances where people of goodwill, acting in good faith, were reluctant to acknowledge the war that was upon them because they recognize what that means, what it's going to cost and what potentially will be lost. And, you know, that's the category that I would put myself in. And specifically, when I talk about what's going to be lost, this choice that I've made to put my support behind Donald Trump, and and it's, you know, it's it, my support doesn't matter. Like, as an individual, it's not a big deal. But I'm saying collectively, the choice to put our support behind a guy like Donald Trump right now... It, and to set aside these meaningful policy discussions that we need to have within the context of the Republican party in order to pursue the more immediate objective of our survival as a nation and the survival of our institutions. The choice to do that comes with a cost. And the cost is we're, we're kicking down the road. We're deferring the ability to have those important conversations about what Republicans should stand for in the sphere of something like immigration, the sphere of something like like foreign policy or uh, tariffs and the economy and intervening with different companies when they're doing things that you you think uh, aren't advantageous to a favored constituency. These are all important conversations that do need to be had. And as activists and Donald Trump would be the first one to tell you this. You need to have the negotiating power to say, I'm willing to walk away. My vote is on the table, and I can get up and walk away. And in a political context, in an electoral context, that means not vote for you. I'm willing to do that in order to apply pressure and leverage to try to move the the powers that be in the direction that you want them to go. But that's a luxury of peacetime. That's a luxury of being in a context where you can afford to allow the other side, the opposing party, to obtain victory in the short term. And my calculation over the past couple of years has been that we could afford that, that it was worthwhile to potentially risk short-term political losses in order to affect a longer-term political revival of conservatism as I see it. But it's very clear, based upon the conduct of the left, particularly in the context of these this Kavanaugh situation and the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh and the way that they've been behaving, that, that the left has declared a total war against American exceptionalism itself. The qualities of our culture and the particulars of our political system that make us an exception, both geographically in the world and historically throughout time, that make us an island in time and space where the the concept of liberty and the creed of freedom is the defining aspect of our nation, not our blood, not our birthplace, not our soil, but what we believe, that exceptionalism is under assault, sustained, purposeful, intentional, total war assault by the left. And that means we're at war, whether we would risk it or not. And we need to pick a side, and we need to secure victory in order to ensure our survival so that we can have the luxury of debating tariffs tomorrow. Six five one nine eight nine five eight five five. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. AM 1130, 103.5 FM, closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Just got done uh, sharing with you my rationale, my justification for going from never Trump to MAGA, putting on the MAGA hat and supporting Donald Trump. 651-989-5855.
1: Brad has some thoughts. Well, I'm still uncomfortable with your embracement of Trump, not only because I've listened to you and seen you as a mentor for the last year and a half. And it feels a little like betrayal, but it's all in good fun. I understand. I understand why, why you feel the way that you do and why other people who may have your similar viewpoint are coming around to Trump. Right. I, I totally get it. And from your perspective, I understand. But when you're speaking about it and you say that we have to put the jersey on for Trump, In order to defeat Democrats so that we can discuss, so we have the right to discuss something like tariffs later. It feels like the same rhetoric people used to justify the War on Terror and the Patriot Act. In that, well, we have to take your freedoms now. We have to put aside our desire for a smaller government in order to defeat the terrorists so that we can have more freedom tomorrow. Because that's not how it works. government will inherently grow no matter where we go from here government will only increase and we've seen it before or in articles past the Rand Paul article from 2015 that we discussed recently said that the Republican Party was not ready for Rand Paul because Republicans actually want more government they just want it in a Republican way not a Democratic way so we by saying that we are at war or Republicans are at war with the Democrats, and that even people who are never Trump need to take up arms. We're saying that we're setting aside our our priorities that we should favor in order to and support the policies, perhaps, and the tactics that Trump has in order to defeat the Democrats. But really, we're just taking on the same things that they use and uh, putting ourselves past the threshold of or I don't know what the right word is but we're putting ourselves past the threshold of that tactic like for example the Kavanaugh hearings the supreme court hearings are not going to get better from here on out because this is what we've resorted to it's it's going to get worse and I don't see I don't see a stepping back behind the threshold of of war between democrats and republicans and never trumpers joining the ranks of Trump and accepting what he does and i don't see us you know to tie that in to what caused it i don't see like supreme court nominees and the process behind that getting better so that we have better candidates
0: so i i have some thoughts in response to that but i think in order to lay the groundwork my question to you would be and this is could just as easily have been some caller asking me this question last week so this is kind of a fascinating experience but my question to you would be, what's your prescription then? I mean, you say this is not the way to fight the war, win the war, and advance, uh, restate our reinstate our capacity to advance principles. So, what is? What is the course moving forward?
1: Being consistent to your principles, I think that what we've discussed, you know, since in the la- in the last year and a half, have we've won an audience because. You know, people say, "Oh, we're so you know, We have such an insightful show. I listen every night, and I learn something new." But it may this. Maybe this is just me speaking, but like, I think people think that about our show because we are consistent in our ideology. We consistently apply those principles, right? And so, by taking up the never or taking up the MAGA banner, it's mm-hmm. not being consistent. Well, see,
0: it, perhaps. We have a different view of consistency, certainly a different perspective of consistency, because I see this as completely consistent. The thing is, is that principles, while principles don't change, the context and particulars in which they're applied absolutely do. The, the best way to pursue a given goal or uh, des- destination or desire depends entirely upon the terrain you find yourself n- negotiating and navigating. And what I'm suggesting is that the terrain has changed. The context has changed. Now, perhaps I'm open to the argument that the terrain changed two years ago and I just didn't perceive it, right? Like a lot of people would absolutely make that argument. I, in fact, guaranteed we have listeners. We haven't heard from them yet with this point, but guaranteed we have listeners who are just banging their heads against the wall. Like, how, how did you not see this in 2016 Walter? How did you not understand? That this, that we were at total war then with Hillary Clinton and the Supreme Court at state and all, and all the arguments that they made at the time that were very much in the same vein of the argument that I'm making now. And what it comes down to is again, like I said, there, when, when you find yourself in a time of crisis, there, different people get to the point where they, in their own judgment, determine that the context justifies a different course towards the same path. You know John Adams and Sam Adams both wanted liberty for the United States of America or for at the time the colonies, however you want to refer to it, but both men had a different perception of where we were what the context was and and therefore what the best method was to pursue that end for sam Sam Adams, it was time to pick up arms and go to war much quicker than where John Adams got to in terms of his perception of when that time came. And the same thing is happening today within the Republican Party. The reason why, in my estimation, you see this new unity that has emerged and has been widely commented on amongst the right right now. In fact, one of the stories we got in the stack, 50 percent approval rating nationwide for Donald Trump right now. The reason for that is because there's a widespread recognition in as far as I'm concerned of exactly what I'm talking about right now, that the context has changed. The moment is now. We are not dealing with the same... We're not dealing with a scenario whereby you can have the type of of civility and decorum that the likes of Jeff Flake and Ben Sass, and these guys who I respect and, who, and whose views of principle I agree with, their perception of where we're at is out of sync with reality as it's being presented to us right now.
1: Yeah, but I think that I mean, I voted third party in 2016. I don't think that's a secret to anyone. But I think that... And I'm not a member of the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, but I generally, like... Ideologically, I'm a Libertarian. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, at least as a party, the Libertarian Party is close enough to legitimacy that if we kept pursuing those ends, and even just getting 5% in an election... Right In a popular election in the vote would be a huge step forward sure well we've we've
0: had our our friend neil uh, Lynch in on the program a number of times before he's due to come on again, particularly now that this has happened. <laughs> It'd be fascinating to have a conversation with him about it. But he pursued the chairmanship of the state libertarian party, and he can tell you from first hand experience how difficult it is. To make any sort of of tangible, real political process within that context, like you have to have a certain mentality in order to be effective politically, and it, it it's no, I don't think it's any coincidence, and it's perfectly understandable why the people who tend to gravitate towards a third party like the Libertarian Party lack that skill set, because those who do. Have a calculation that their skills will be put to better use within the context of the Republican Party. And perhaps that's ultimately that's what the real difference between you and I is. Maybe. Is that is that for, for me, um my with withholding of support for Donald Trump was unique. You know, you you've voted third party before, from what I understand. I mean, I don't have a comprehensive yes. history of your voting habits, but for me. I've been voting since I was legally eligible to do so, and in every election, I voted for the Republican every opportunity I could, and it was always a thoughtful consideration. It wasn't because, you know, party loyalty, but that was my my political calculation, is that that was the best way to express my my political will, and so for Donald Trump to come along and be an exception to that history, that is noteworthy in terms of what it took for me to not vote for a Republican in an election, and so... For me to now take the position I'm taking is not nearly as exceptional in that context as it would be if you were the one who was making this change. You understand what I'm saying? Because you are bringing a different prism of calculus, of political calculus, to the table to begin with than the one that I was bringing.
1: Well, no, certainly I'm not endorsing the Libertarian Party because, as Neil has explained, we've seen how incompetent they can be. Um, But we've also seen how Libertarians working within the Republican Party get treated as well. That's true. They get pushed aside. That's true. And it's 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 utterly insulting. I would rather have the Libertarian Party just be idiots and just be like, okay, yeah, they're hopeless. Right. But to have a shot like like we did with Ron Paul in 2008 and 2012 right. to at least say, push the guy forward. See where he goes. He's better than Romney and at least more exciting. As, as I've said before, don't be boring GOP. Right. And they just go, Nah, he's not electable. He's crazy. Like, remember when we got talked when we got talked about as the crazy members of the Republican Party before the Republican Party endorsed Donald sure. Trump? Sure, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I understand what you're saying,
0: and we'll hear from you guys as well. We're running a little long here on the break. 651 989 5855 to get in on this conversation. I know a lot of you are probably driving home from Rochester in the Trump rally. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, twincitiesnewstalk.com. Been discussing my shift from never Trump. To MAGA, putting on the MAGA hat here on Closing Argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 1035 FM, streaming at twincitiesnewstalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here nine to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. You can join the conversation at 651-989-5855. Brad Omland taking those calls and producing the show. You know, it's, it's interesting this, this notion of, a person's credibility being tied to their political support, you know, because when, when we talk about the value of this program and what it is that we bring to our audience, it's, it's interesting to me that the notion that the perception of that value might shift one way or the other based upon who I'm planning to vote for, because that's all this is right. Like what, What are we talking about when we talk about political support? When I say I'm a Trump supporter now, what does that actually mean? I think there's a sense that what it means is that you you drink the Kool-Aid, that you become some kind of sycophant, that you join a a, a cult of personality, that now anything Trump does, I'm going to applaud, and anything that uh, makes him look bad, I'm going to minimize and pretend as though, you know, he he should have done that thing that objectively, he shouldn't have, you know, or that policies uh, that I have spoken against in the past, I'm now for because Trump's for him, and I have to align with him. None of that is true. Like, that's not what I'm talking about when I say I'm putting on the MAGA hat, I'm supporting Donald Trump now. This is what I mean very specifically. I mean, one thing I'm going to vote for, him. I'm going to vote for him and I'm going to encourage other people to vote for him. That is quite literally the only thing that has changed here. And I put on a hat. So three things, I guess, have changed. I'm going to vote for him. I'm going to encourage other people to vote for him. And I put on the hat from time to time in order to serve the, the second purpose. So that's it. Like, everything else is the same. What I stand for is the same. My principles are the same. My views on on policy are the same. My objectives for how I think the world ought to look are the same. It's just that the context, my perception of the context has shifted to where now my political calculation is it makes sense to support Donald Trump. Now, when I talk about political calculation, let's acknowledge that when you go into the voting booth, when you decide who to vote for, who to cast your ballot for, you're always making a calculation, right? Like you are never, at no point do you walk into the voting booth and fill in the bubble next to a name of a person who believes everything you believe and who stands on all the principles that you hold dear and is going to do exactly what you would do if elected to the office you're voting them into right like there's always a give and a take a political calculation a context in which you're making a judgment and so so your reasoning for voting for one person and not voting for another or for not voting at all from abstaining from the process your reasoning is always informed by a political calculation. And all I'm suggesting is that the variables have shifted. The variables have shifted in such a way that my personal calculation comes to a different solution than it did a couple of weeks ago and certainly a couple of years ago. All right, let's hear from you. Let's go to Jeff in Minneapolis. Welcome to the program.
2: Hey there. So I could ever make my conversation as interesting as yours, but... I had that aha uh-huh moment, same as you did. I just had it right around the election. Sure. Uh, interesting story. I went and watched his rally tonight. Yeah. And uh, I drove all the way up, left work, went all the, all the way there. I'm standing at the rally, and I'm actually sitting. I sat down, and the guy comes up to me, shakes my hand. And he says, hey, how you doing? I'm so-and-so. Uh, you're you're a big Trump guy, huh? And I, I still it choked. I still couldn't say yeah, I actually hesitated. I said, "Well, yeah," and he kind of hesitated. And I said, "Well, I voted for him." You know, that was as far as I could go. I still can't just say, "You know, I'm all in," because right. I don't want to do it. But I, I just I look at what he's done, and I say, "This is what it looks like to fight back."
3: Right. You
0: know? Yeah.
2: I I, I I I'm a I was a cruise guy. I mean, right up until the election. Sure. And then uh, my 15 year old daughter, when he came and landed, that was it a week before the election. He landed at the airport two weeks before yep. or something yep. like that. Uh, my 15-year-old daughter said, I want to go see that. I'm like, huh, all right, let's go. And I went there, and it wasn't seeing Trump, and that really wasn't it. I mean, it's cool that he just he says what he thinks, the same as sitting in a bar and talking. Right.
0: Very true.
2: It's kind of fun to listen to, but but the, you don't think that's a good politician, right? It's just fun to listen to. Right, right, right. But that's not what I got standing at that airport. I'm looking at the fact that, like, a 12 hours notice or 15 hours notice, and almost 30,000 people drove there to yep. watch the guy and going, Yep. okay, this is something. Right. That, some, that is something. Right. And, and that's what turned me. I mean, I'm like, he's still, I would still say if you pin me down, he's not my guy. If I have my choice, he's not my guy. Yeah. But my God, this is what it looks like to fight back. And I, and I agree with a lot of things he actually does.
0: I appreciate the call. Appreciate the insights, Jeff. And that's just it, is the... He He's our guy by virtue of the fact that he is the president of the United States as a Republican, and therefore the de facto and actual standard bearer of the party, for better or worse, to, to be Republican is to operate in the shadow of Donald Trump until at least 2020 and likely, increasingly likely, 2024. And so... One of part of one of the variables, one of the factors that you have to take into consideration as you're making your political calculation of how you're going to respond to Trump as a principal conservative or a principal libertarian is: Am I willing to be completely non-viable for at least two, if not six, more years? Before I ever have the opportunity to be taken seriously and to actually try to advance these principles that I care so much about, but both within the Republican Party and beyond, and for me, you know, it's it's more, I was willing to do that. Like I was willing to set out the whole two full terms. I was willing to set out a decade, practically, in order for the to to regain the opportunity to be able to have serious conversations about principle and policy once more. But the the what has changed is that I, if if the left wins in this moment, if they win with Brett Kavanaugh, which they're not, like that's I had a smile on my face today reading the news, and we'll get into it here next hour. But if they succeeded in stopping Brett Kavanaugh under these thin, unsubstantiated allegations, that in, it's increasingly clear have been entirely concocted for partisan and political uh, purpose. If they win, then they 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 don't just beat Kavanaugh, they don't just beat Trump, they don't just beat the Republicans, they destroy the Supreme Court of the United States. They destroy an entire institution, one-third of our federal government, because nobody is going to want to do this job. Nobody is going to want to be nominated by a Republican president for the Supreme Court ever again if this succeeds, if they're able to take a man like Brett Kavanaugh and destroy him with literally nothing. That's what's at stake. And so that, like I say, that is a declaration of total war. And so the notion of, well, I guess I'll set it out for six years and wait for my opportunity to be able to argue policy down the road. You're not going to have that opportunity. You're not going to have that an opportunity to have a meaningful, a meaningful debate on what conservatism is and what Republican policy ought to be, because Republicanism itself is going to be irrelevant in the world that the left is creating by salting the earth. 651 989 5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. You know never,
4: never
0: All right, let's hear from you. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Let's go to uh, Sue in St. Paul. Welcome to the program, Sue. Hi.
5: Um, I, I'm calling because, well, uh, I, uh, I'm not a good speaker. No, <laughs> sure you have. I have lots to say, but, uh, um, okay, I, I just want to say I voted for Ron Paul okay. for a libertarian. Sure, and sure. I, and I... Um, was thinking of voting libertarian again this time Mm -hmm. until i heard what an idiot this guy was but and i just it's not just that i couldn't vote for the idiot it's that and i would have liked to because for a long time i thought second we need a third party because these republicans are just not getting the message Mm -hmm. if we not didn't just not show up but Went ahead and voted for a third party that mm-hmm. might give them a message to straighten to try mm-hmm. straight them out. Mm-hmm. But it, it's like you say, I it, you, you couldn't take a chance on letting Hillary get this office. Sure, you know, and and I and I also think and this is one little problem I've had with your show. Mm-hmm. As much as I've loved it, I I felt I perceived a sort of oh. Um, uh, rigid adherence to a philosophy or a principle you know
0: those darn principles huh those darn principles well
5: you know rid rid um, a, a demand for a hundred percent perfection is is a youthful demand, you know as one gets more experienced as you did going along with this whole situation, one starts to to look at things a little differently um, it, one not, not only has to refer to one's philosophy, but one also has to, you know, uh, philosophies are artificial constructs. You know, like your Ayn Rand, she made an artificial construct, and it was a good construct in many ways, but she was a nutcase. <laughs> okay. Um, but reality has to be faced, too. Sure. You have your principle, and you have your reality.
0: Well, the way I would phrase it, and the way we've been phrasing it, tonight, and I appreciate your call as always, Sue. You know, the way I would phrase it is not so much that reality needs to be faced, so much as the context in which you're applying your philosophy needs to be accounted for, and and that is true. You know, the one thing that Ayn Rand observed, which I maintain to be accurate, is that you can, when you're evaluating the veracity of a of a philosophy or an idea, that's part of a larger philosophy. There should be no dissonance between its its practicality and its morality. In other words, what is moral is practical. What works is good. What actually achieves the the good objective is what is moral. And so, you know, to the extent that there's that your your philosophy isn't working or your adherence to a principle isn't working, it's because you are either misunderstanding the principle applying it incorrectly in the context, or you have the principle wrong to begin with.
1: Well, we have to start judging voting and policy, you know, the policies that we support by their potential outcome, not by their intentions. And I think that that that's kind of the philosophy that I'm driving at, is I'm not sure I agree with the outcome of going from never-Trump to a MAGA hat-wearing person. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, <laughs> we've been told... I've been a libertarian for 10 years, and I keep telling, well, you're not in line with reality. you got to grow up at some point. Well, I have grown up a libertarian, and I've seen the way things have gone the last 10 years, and I am further bought into my philosophy sure. of why we should vote libertarian. And you didn't, like, you Gary Johnson wasn't, he was, he had executive experience by any other standard. Mm-hmm. He would have been a great uh, presidential candidate, like, he he had his Aleppo moment, and that's kind of what blew it for him. Yeah, but you don't want to vote for Gary Johnson because of his Aleppo moment versus Trump, who's an actual idiot. So the, I, I think you know when you talk about we, that when we
0: reference what we should do, we should vote Libertarian. The and to Sue's point, part of acknowledging the context in which you find yourself is recognizing that that we. Is so small that you can't get to that five well, percent, right? And so the first task, the first task, is to actually persuade people that they ought to act in the way you think they should
1: act. We live in Minnesota, so it's always going to go Democrat in electoral college. We only need to get five percent in the popular vote overall, not just in Minnesota. All right, we'll come back. We'll continue to take your calls and discuss this. 20
0: dot com. that you know so this context for where i was coming from in 2016 when i was a very vocal never trumper as compared to where i am today you know part of what informed my concern about trump had less to do with him and more to do with the people who were most excited about what he was doing and those folks as i perceived it at the time were were who we've come to recognize as the alt-right. Now, at the time, you know, during the primary in 2016, you know, I wrote an article when I was writing at PJ Media at the time. And I wrote an article with a headline, something to the effect of, you know, the alt-right is evil and must be opposed. And the primary response that I got to that was, what is the alt-right? What are you talking about? <laughs> right? Because nobody knew who the alt-right even was at the time that I was writing about it. And you know what the alt right is, and there's there's still a lot of confusion as to what the alt right even is. What the alt right is 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 just rebranded white nationalism, right? It's in the same way that progressive is rebranded liberalism, is rebranded socialism, is rebranded communism. You know, the, it's just taking the same thing, slapping a different name on it, and trying to market it. That's what the alt right is, and it was it's a phrase that was coined by Richard Spencer who's the president of something called the National Policy Institute, he came up with an alternative right in an effort to try to sell his ideas, his white nationalist ideas, to a broader audience. And those folks were particularly excited about Donald Trump and the things that he was saying, particularly when it comes to immigration and the Muslim ban and things along those lines. And the reason why I was so averse to that, aside from the obvious, is it struck a very personal chord with me. As, as you may or may not know, because this is radio and not television, I'm of mixed heritage. My dad is black. My mom is white. And one of the things that these alt-right folks, the real alt-right folks, believe is that my existence as a biracial child and the existence of my children is an affront to the national identity, that we are an abomination that we are, that our, our parents are race traitors, right? Like these, that's the type of things that these people believe. And so for those people to be all excited about Donald Trump waved a huge red flag to me of what is happening to my party. What is going on? Who is this guy? And remember the things that Donald Trump was saying in 2016. There was no, we, we didn't have two years worth of him being president of the United States to actually take to a track record to actually compare to his rhetoric to help us interpret what he meant and what he was trying to get after. And so that's another part of the context, which has changed. We now have two years that we can look back upon and, and I can judge, you know, this guy, if, if I knew that I was going to get what we've gotten, my choice in 2016 very well may have been different. The, if if he if I knew he was going to govern as conservatively as he has relative to my perception of where it was in 2016, that might have changed my calculus in 2016. But it was a big question mark. We didn't know what we we're going to get. It's kind of a grab bag of you know who knows where where we're going to go with this guy, and so that played into it as well. And so the the amongst the things that have changed is my fear, and I'll admit it was a fear. My fear. Coming out of the, my perception of the alt right and what the alt right was, seemed to be ascending and seemed to be emerging and becoming more legitimate. Those fears have subsided because it's very clear at this point that Donald Trump doesn't believe any of that. You know, he had Steve Bannon, who was an alt right guy on, on as part of his cabinet or part of his staff. And that concerned me greatly. Bannon's been gone for a long time now. Right. And it became very clear that Trump wasn't picking Steve Bannon because he loved the alt right. Trump was picking Steve Bannon because he liked Steve Bannon. And then he didn't like Steve Bannon. So he got rid of him. And that's the way Trump is. He floats from person to person. He hires people. He fires people. This is just his modus operandi. It's not an expression of his philosophy or his ideology. It's, it's all about utility and personal loyalty with this guy, which isn't the best mode of operation in my opinion but it's significantly better than what I had feared in 2016. Closing argument, my name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130, 103.5 FM streaming at com and your iHeartRadio app, we're here 9 to 11 weeknights, 651 989-5855 is the number to join us, Brad Omlin taking these calls and producing the show let's go to Pat in Shoreview thanks for holding for as long as you did
3: Yeah, I guess um. I mean, first off, I agree with you that, I mean, I mean, well, the whole idea about whether you be a pragma, pragmatist, pragmatist or not, as mm-hmm. far as who are you going to vote for and, and what's the what's the situation, um, I think that you've got to, it's an interesting question. I think that, for example, I don't know if we're ever going to unwind healthcare so it's a free market system again. Right. I mean, I'd like to see it that way. Yeah. But if Hillary, if Hillary and the Democrats would have gained control of, you know, the Congress and the presidency, health care would have been gone. That's one-seventh of the economy. That would have been the socialized. We would have been in socialized medicine probably by now. And so so then you have to think about if Jill Stein hadn't run in, like, five swing states, Hillary might very well have been president. Mm-hmm. Thank God that, you know, but in other words, um it's you know, the margin Jill Stein caused Hillary to lose the presidency probably more so than anything else is you know, Russians and Russian bots and <laughs> everything else.
0: That's an but interesting so, perspective, yeah. And not and not uncredible.
3: Yeah, so that's and certainly I've got principles too, and I I felt compromised by Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um I've voted libertarian, but at the same time I gotta tell you, I mean I think libertarians take things too far, but at the same time, I think that government is largely inefficient and ineffective and corrupt. But at the same time, I think that libertarians seem like they're, 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 they take their philosophy too far to the point of an extreme that doesn't make any sense. I don't know, and I realize, you know, I guess that's the yin and the yang of it, Um but that's that's just how I
0: feel. Yeah, I appreciate I it, Pat. I appreciate you sharing that thoughts with me. And you you raise a a very apropos point, a very critical point. And it's what I was trying to get after with Brad when we were going back and forth in the last segment, of the last hour, which is that you because know, obviously I don't agree with Pat's assessment of libertarianism. Like I think libertarianism is entirely practical and entirely moral and proper and Implementable. Like, there's no, there's, I don't see anything extreme about the notion that I own my life and I ought to be able to pursue my own values and that nobody else gets to force me to do what they want and they don't get to keep me from doing what I want. That seems to be pretty mainstream to me. Like, when you, when you think about how that idea is applied in day to day life, you own your life and get to do what you want with it and nobody can force you to do what they want or keep you from doing what you want as long as you're not violating their rights or violating the rights of others, that's pretty non-controversial in most contexts. I think the, but but for whatever reason, I don't want to argue that tonight, but to Pat's point, there is this perception amongst conservatives, amongst Republicans, amongst the mainstream, amongst everybody, that libertarians are extreme and crazy and kooky and their ideas don't work and what have you. And so whose responsibility is it you know, the, to my mind, the first task of a libertarian is to change that perception. That's our task. We're not gonna We're not gonna get to the five percent of the vote for a third party, or get to nominating somebody like Ron Paul within the context of the Republican Party, until we have first convinced the Pats of the world that libertarianism makes sense, that it's normal and natural and proper.
1: Well, that's fair, and. The Libertarian Party is so, and Libertarians in general, just from when Libertarians try to organize, the kooks generally take over. That's right. Like a few years ago, you've got Adam Kokesh out in the streets right. saying oh, yeah. how we should legalize methamphetamine. It's like, yeah. hold on. <laughs> just talk about pot, man. Right, 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 you don't right. have to go that far, or right. how even Ron Paul talked about the Federal Reserve. It's an important point, right. but people don't get it it's not an easy concept to understand sure and so it just needs to be a straightforward philosophy as you're explaining but some but the libertarian party and libertarians small l are just so disorganized that the loonies generally end up taking over and it's it is a branding problem and the problem is on and the duty is on libertarians to correct that philosophy let's talk to Stephen in hopkins welcome to the program
6: hey sir how are you doing tonight good all right. Uh, in in 2016, you know, like you're talking about how you're slow to get on the Trump train. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was scary because it's like, is this guy a rhino? Is he, um, you know, like, is he conservative? He he has said a lot of stuff in the past that was, you know, it was, like it was not agreeable. Right. And, uh, and but in the last you know, two years, you know, like the steps he has taken has just been... You know, like like he does not. uh, um, How do I say this? He has tried to do the majority of the stuff he has. He has. He has. He's 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 chased
0: after. Yeah, he's he's done more to try to fulfill his campaign promises than most.
6: Yes, and I think you're just. And I think you know again for you to stick on the MAGA hat you know you're you know i support trump i don't agree with every single thing he does Right. I, i'm not a moron right. it's like it's just it's just like you know i still have complete independence
0: yeah you yeah, right you haven't you haven't been assimilated you're not part of the borg collective at this point yeah i get what you're saying
6: yeah you know and it, it's just like in your supporting somebody who's not perfect yeah as you know,
0: uh, I... And that's okay. You know, a- and that's okay, because that's always true. It's always true. I appreciate the call, Steve. You're, you're always supporting somebody who isn't perfect. You're always supporting somebody who's saying and doing things that you don't agree with 100%. The question is to what degree, and and is that degree within whatever margin of acceptability that you have defined as, as being acceptable... To maintain your political support your willingness to vote for them and your willingness to encourage others to do the same let's talk to Jane in st. Paul thank you very much for holding as long as
1: you did
7: hi Walter thank you for taking my call yep. say listen I'm gonna the way um, this is going to come out it sounds like I'm going down a different tangent but um, I keep thinking cuz I I kind of had a little light bulb moment tonight myself because I'm I'm so into protecting liberty And for whatever reason, I remember during the Obama years that um, as things started happening, like, for example, do you remember the um, Black Panthers that were outside of a polling place? Yeah, yeah. With Billy Clubs and stuff like this. And then there was the IRS thing, and there were numerous things that came down the pike, and I kind of went, what? What's what's happening here, you know? And because some of these things that were – out-and-out out intimidation mm-hmm. and weaponizing and so on and so forth mm-hmm. were just so blatant, and nobody got excited about it, you know? Right. And so um, I just keep thinking back about um, the night that, uh, you know, Trump was elected. I I couldn't stay up any longer, so I went to bed. And I, before I went to bed, I just said, oh, please, American people, take care of this for us. You know, do the right thing. And then I kind of woke up about 2 o'clock, and I came down, and I looked at the television, and I went, what? And the truth of the matter is, I have such faith in the American people to protect our liberty. And I think what we're seeing now is a lot of people are figuring it out. Yes. That um, for whatever reason, um, we have an element in this country that is more than happy to, uh, take away our, our liberties to yep. any extent. And I think, remember when Obama said, um, President Obama said, uh, that, that we will fundamentally change things? Correct. Well, you know what? I believed it. That's right. And, and it just, to me, says, you know, um, if people are now standing up and saying that Brett Kavanaugh's, um, a decent guy and so on and so forth, we can't prove anything here, as he said, she said, uh I think I think we're maybe gonna be taking it back. And that feels really good to me because liberty is something that once it's gone yeah. you can't replace it. Yep.
0: Yep. Much harder to regain lost ground. As you know, somebody brought up healthcare earlier as the healthcare demonstrates the passage of Obamacare is something that we have not extricated ourselves from and may never extricate ourselves from at least if if there isn't some sort of radical shift in the culture uh, and politically as well and so yes it's much more difficult to take back what you've lost in the sphere of Liberty than it is to maintain what you have which is another argument in the corner of of uh, doing what we can to defeat the left right now
7: I just hope I made some sort of sense because Liberty to me is, um, oh, it's right up there with love of God. You know, it's one of those things that we're so fortunate yeah. that we have in this country. Yeah. And we aren't going to know that it's um, how precious it is until mm-hmm. it starts to be eroded. I think that's what I was feeling during the Obama administration, that that sort of thing was being eroded. And, and in such little things, this may sound and trifle. Um for example, when you went into a store at Christmas time and you bought something, it was always happy holidays, you know. Right. And and then when uh Trump got elected, people were glad and happy again to be saying, Merry Christmas Yeah. And I just um we have to you know, Trump may not be the most polite person yeah. or politically or um, culturally correct or whatever, but you look at what he's accomplished. Yeah. This trade deal with Canada and Mexico is a big deal.
0: I appreciate your points, Jane. We're a little late for a break. Appreciate you calling in and holding for as long as you did. No, that's totally fine. Thanks for calling. Thanks for your your insights in the program. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, twincitiesnewstalk.com. Swing News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Six five one nine eight nine five eight five five is the number to join us. Let's talk to Barry in St. Paul. Welcome to the program.
8: Hey, I'm not trying to be confrontational or anything, but really, I don't see the difference between you getting on a Trump bandwagon and somebody like Jamar or anybody on the Democratic side standing behind Keith Ellison, because... The reason why you're on the Trump bandwagon is because you know that voting for him is going to be more beneficial to push your ideas than voting for any other Democratic or any other third party because they're not going to be able to be able to do what they have to do is to move ideas forward, right? Same thing with Keith Ellison getting voted in, right, for the Democrats. He's going to do more for than anybody else, any Republican, any other third party, for them than anybody else can. So be damned what's in his past, be damned what he says now or what he's done. He can do what we need him to do. I don't understand the difference. And then by doing that, don't you just create or inflame the whole idea of them fighting against us and us fighting against them? Where does that bring
0: no, because that the, the, the while your tactical analysis is accurate, the context that you're missing is whose ideas are actually moral and correct. And I and I understand how I understand how that sounds in a partisan context, but in but in point of fact, and you know, we go down the list every night on this program. But what what
8: you the don't under, what you don't what you don't understand is that the world that these conservatives libertarians live in isn't the same world. OK, whether you want to understand it or not, isn't the same world the people and on the Democrat and socialist and and that side are in. It's a different world because of how they believe, how they think, how they've been raised. It is different. It's, that's what you don't understand. Uh,
0: you're right. I don't understand it. I have no idea what you're talking it's, about.
8: It's, it's, they're pushing towards a different country, a different world philosophy.
0: Right. Okay? I understand that.
8: Okay, so they don't want the country the way it is. Okay, okay? They, they want it to be a different country than the way it was founded. And right. They want to push it push it towards that way. And the reason why they think that, okay, is they because they think that by allowing somebody to determine their future, right, you're allowing them to fail, and that's bad, and that's morally wrong to allow them to fail, to allow them to have hard times. And and what we think is by allowing them to have hard times. It gives them strength to be able to find themselves, to be able to create
0: good times. I think think you're giving them too much credit, Barry, because in point of fact, it's not that they're concerned about the failure or lack of failure of a particular individual. It's that they're collectivists, and they've collectivized everything, and they think of things in terms of social justice. And so, you know, because guess who fails under the implementation of their policy? All of us. Everybody. Exactly. But we all fail equally. The misery is equitable.
8: Well, and that's what they think is morally right.
0: That's, okay, that, fair that, enough, that, right.
8: Okay, so, so, I, so
0: I'm still left with, I still don't follow, I, I don't get this comparison. I don't understand the point of what and you're...
8: And, that, and that's the whole problem, is that most people on, this, on our side don't. They don't okay. stand in their shoes, and that's why this whole fight is what it is. It, I don't see the difference between the North and the South fight in Civil War times. That, that's the whole reason why the whole fight starts. And if we keep pushing down this road, that's
0: the way we're going. All right, I'll ask you. All right, fair enough. I'll ask you the same question I asked Brad earlier. What's the way out then? If if it's not two countries, two countries. Well, hey, you get an A plus for creativity. I don't endorse that. (laughs) Brad just wants to make sure that he's he's not wrapped up in this two country. So, I mean, how would you go about pursuing that?
8: Um. Well, it'd be a messy thing since we had the Civil War, and you can't succeed. Um, but I think it's doable. I I I don't know how you would do it, but the same idea, like I've said to people, like uh, you know how Chicago pretty much controls all of Illinois, right? Uh huh. And, and and Milwaukee for for Wisconsin, right? So let's give Wisconsin the UP, right? Because Michigan's not going to miss it anyway. And make that one state, you know, everything north, like seventy-five miles north of Illinois, give them UP, call that Michigan, oh, Wisconsin, give uh, Chicago and their own state, and then the rest of Illinois their own state. Then they them be able to do what they want to do. Isn't that what we're doing with gerrymandering, anyways? But I, 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 you know, that's, I don't understand it. I, all right, I all right, Barry. I think, I,
0: yeah, go ahead. I, finish off.
8: I think the only way to do it is to accept that we're pushing towards two different countries. And either we move everybody that wants to live uh-huh. in socialistic countries to socialistic countries uh-huh. and let other people live the other way, or if that's not acceptable, all right, I, the space race and go somewhere
0: else. I appreciate your idea, Barry. And look, what Barry's suggesting there actually isn't out of sync with the, the notions of federalism. I mean, you know, Jason Lewis wrote an entire book. About this, Uh, the the how the federalism works and the separation of powers and how the different states are supposed to be laboratories of democracy, wherein people can try their crazy ideas and throw policy spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, I don't know how viable that plan is in this moment, and I don't know why it precludes saying that I'm going to support Donald Trump. In the coming years, I don't understand where, how, why there's a choice there. Maybe Barry wasn't presenting one. I don't know. I was a little confused by the, the entire approach there. 651 989 5855, closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 1035 FM, twincitiesnewstalk.com. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 1035 FM, closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and on your iHeartRadio app. We are here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. We're going to be on tomorrow night as well. little uh, Freestyle Friday action for you. It's been a long week. It's been a long week. And we should have some news, I think, uh, regarding the, the Kavanaugh situation. I guess the vote is scheduled for Saturday now. And I had a a story up here from the Daily Wire. Montana Republican Senator Steve Daines may not be in Washington, D.C. on Saturday to confirm Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court because of a scheduling conflict. Well, the conflict in question just happens to be his daughter's wedding. He's supposed to walk his daughter down the aisle on Saturday, and come hell or high water, he's going to do that. And so uh, this uh, presents a potential complication. Now, you know, I'm assuming that you know this is all... This is all in good faith here and then point of fact he's not just trying to dodge the responsibility to vote uh, but I don't know how you fake your daughter's wedding like she's either getting married or she's not and that's pretty easily verifiable so uh, obviously uh, they they weren't planning to work their wedding around a Supreme Court confirmation vote so you know I'm sure they'll be able to figure something out to make this happen but there will definitely be news tomorrow night to discuss and we'll do our usual uh, break from the the structured <laughs> the format that we usually go with and you guys can guide the conversation. All right, 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Brad Omeland taking those calls and producing the show. Let's talk to Mike in St. Paul. Welcome to the program.
4: Well, that was an interesting twist you just mentioned. Um, thanks, Walter, uh, for taking the call. You know, uh, um, a prior caller piqued my uh, interest on something here. Um, the night in... Hyde Park, the famous night when um, President Obama was elected, and "Change Has Come to America" speech. You know, I was thinking, you know, he wasn't lying. We, we, I, we just didn't know how much. You know, just to name a few, the health care um, he succeeded in alienating law enforcement and even fomenting violence. Uh, he had an attorney general that was held in contempt of Congress and basically turned the IRS into the SS. Now, we all know that uh, Washington, D.C. was a liberal cesspool prior to him coming there. But I, I had a question I wanted to get your uh, input in. How much of a fingerprint uh, do you think he left in getting this, Liberalism, I'll just say, to you know, to a point where it's it's boiling over the cauldron. I mean, we had a, it isn't about socialists, no doubt, but I mean, we're in crazy town now. And is, does he have nothing to do with this? Do you think, or you know, just interested in your? You, you
0: mean Obama specifically? Yes, yes. What? What? How much? O- is Obama. Obama is to the left what I wish we had on the right in terms of an. An activist politician, you know somebody who and, and i you know maybe maybe Trump has been this for some people he, I don't think he quite fits the definition in my view because you know i'm what, what i'm what I'm getting after here is Obama is a thoughtful intellectual, philosophically committed leftist, like he's a true believer, and he's committed to the cause, and he also is able to marry that with a natural political skill, a rhetorical skill, and an ability to ascend to the highest office in the land, right? And so you, you ask what role did Obama play? Key, absolutely key. He advanced the cause of the left by leaps and bounds in this country. He had an effect not just upon policy but upon the culture, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and he's, he's set, he has he teed up what we're facing right now from the left in terms of their tactics, their salting of the earth, their take no prisoners, their total war, their get in their face. I mean, he told he was a, one of the first people to prominently say, "Get in their face, push them back," you know, mm-hmm. take to the streets, and because mm-hmm. that's his background.
4: So now we're on, we're on the brink of literally suspending you know constitutional due process. If if you wanted to believe the Democrat argument, you would have to suspend due process in the Kavanaugh case.
0: Yeah. Well. Yes. Exactly. That's that. I wasn't quite following you until that you provided that last bit of context. Yes. But absolutely, yes. Because look, the bottom line with the left is they don't actually care about any of that stuff, right? Like to them, process and the Constitution and institutional bounds and separation of powers—all these things are just. You know, rhetorical constructs that don't really matter. What matters is bringing to bear their vision of how the world ought to be, and whatever stands in the way of that, even their own integrity, their own uh, con- consistency. You know, you look at the difference between Kavanaugh and Ellison. None of that matters. They, they just—they're just all about ends means. Has, has doesn't raise any sort of consideration or deliberation in their minds whatsoever.
4: But is half the country that easily duped? I mean, how are they amongst us functioning if that is their underlying... I'll tell
0: you why. And it's a fantastic question. And I appreciate the call, Mike. It's it's a fantastic question, and I have the answer. You ready for this? This is the answer to that question. Why has the left succeeded in the culture? Why are they able to to win elections to the extent that they have and to command so much power within institutions? It is because they have made and stood firm upon moral arguments. Now, their morality is perverse and dysfunctional and a distortion of actual morality. They, they take things that are evil and try to portray them as if they're good, but they're very, very successful and very adept at portraying themselves as being on the side of right, being on the side of history, being for progress and moving forward and advancing us t- towards some sort of equality and justice. They've seized the language and seized the terminology and arrayed it all in such a way as to convey the sense that if you are a good person, if you are a good human being who cares about other people You vote Democrat. If you are a good person who has integrity and character and is charitable and cares, then you're going to be on the left. That's the narrative that they have successfully crafted and pushed into the mainstream culture so effectively that you do have a large constituency of people who are relatively apolitical. It's not as though they have some sort of deep, profound, well-thought-out political philosophy. They just want to be on the side of right. They want to be on the side of good. And they perceive that that side is the Democrats. They perceive that that side is the left because that's what they've been told constantly, not just by the, the politicians themselves, the Obamas of the world, but by the broader culture. Now, in order to take that ground back, we need to start making moral arguments of our own. And Brett Kavanaugh showed us the way in the context of that Senate Judiciary Committee meeting. He took a moral stance. He condemned his opponents rightfully. And that's the difference between us and them. They have utilized the tactic, but what they're completely lacking is the actual moral justification. We have the moral justification. It's amazing. It's like a, it's like a mirror universe. Republicans and conservatives more generally behave as though we have something to apologize for while holding the keys to the moral kingdom. Like the side of right is on our side. We hold the truth. We hold the light and we act as though we need to apologize for something. Right. And the left is pursuing a moral evil, but they act as though they're on the side of righteousness. It's, the, it's an inversion of the way things ought to be. And so what we need to do is we need to start acting as though we are on the side of righteousness, which we are, and making our arguments from a moral stance so that the, the person in the middle, the independent voter who doesn't put a lot of thought into these things but just wants to be a good person, stops and realizes, wow, you know what? I, I, I can be a good person and vote for a conservative. I can be a good person and vote for a Republican. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter and Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. <laughs> to end things off tonight, let's consider a piece over at the New York Times an opinion column by Brett Stevens, who is also a longtime critic of President Trump and who also recognizes this moment as a point at which it is time to come together uh, in support of him. You know, in my case, I'm putting on the MAGA hat. In his case, he's acknowledging that he's grateful that Donald Trump is the president. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651 to squeeze in a call before the end of the show. Brett Stevens writes, For the first time since Donald Trump entered the political fray, I find myself grateful that he's in it. I'm reluctant to admit it and astonished to say it, especially since the president mocked Christine Blasey Ford in his ugly and gratuitous way at a rally on Tuesday. Perhaps it's worth unpacking this admission for those who might be equally astonished to read it. I'm grateful because Trump has not backed down in the face of the slipperiness, hypocrisy, and dangerous standard setting deployed by opponents of Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. I'm grateful because ferocious and even crass obstinacy has its uses in life, and never more so than in the face of sly moral bullying. I'm grateful because he's a big, fat hammer fending off a razor-sharp dagger. A few moments have crystallized my view over the past few days. The first moment was a remark by my friend. I'd rather be accused of murder, he said, than of sexual assault. I feel the same way. One can think of excuses for killing a man, none for assaulting a woman. But if that's true, so is this. Falsely accusing a person of sexual assault is nearly as despicable as sexual assault itself. It inflicts psychic, familial, Reputational and professional harms that can last a lifetime. This is nothing to sneer at. The second moment connected to the first boo hoo hoo, Brett Kavanaugh is not a victim. That's the title of a column in the New York or the Los Angeles Times, which suggests that the possibility of Kavanaugh's innocence is infinitesimal. Yet, false allegations of rape, while relatively rare, are at least five times as common as false accusations of other types of crime, according to academic literature. Since when did the possibility of innocence become, for today's liberals, something to wave off with an archly unfeeling boo-hoo? A third moment connected to the second. Listening to Cory Booker explain on Tuesday that ultimately it doesn't matter if Kavanaugh is guilty or innocent because enough questions have been raised that it was time to move on to another candidate. This is a rhetorical sleight of hand in three acts. Uh, Allay it to one question that really matters. Raise a secondary set of questions that are wholly the result of the question you've decided to ignore. Call for another candidate because it will push confirmation hearings past the midterms, which was the Democratic objective long before most anyone had ever heard of Blasey's accusation. Fourth moment watching Julie Swetnick, the woman who accused Kavanaugh of attending parties decades earlier where women were gang-raped, change key details of her story in an interview with NBC News. Swetnick's claims border on the preposterous. They are wholly uncorroborated, but that didn't keep Kavanaugh's opponents in politics and the press from seizing them as evidence of corroboration with Blasey's allegation, which is not preposterous, but is also largely uncorroborated and with the allegation of Kavanaugh's Yale classmate, Deborah Ramirez, uncorroborated again. Uncorroborated plus uncorroborated plus largely uncorroborated is not the accumulation of questions, much less of evidence. It is the duplic- or the duplication of heresy or hearsay. Fifth moment, reading about a 1985 bar fight at Yale, a story that involved Kavanaugh throwing ice resulted in no charges against him and should never have been reported. Or reading a 1983 handwritten letter by Kavanaugh in which he says of his gang of friends that were loud, obnoxious drunks with prolific pukers among us. Adolescent boasting now being treated as if it's a critical piece of incriminating evidence. Or hearing from Yale classmates who claim to have seen Kavanaugh drunk, which somehow is supposed to show that he's a demonstrable perjurer and possible sex offender. Will a full-bore investigation of adolescent behavior now become a standard part of the job interview for all senior office holders? I'm for it, provided we can start with your adolescent behavior as it relates to your next job. Sixth moment. Listening to Richard Blumenthal lecture Kavanaugh on the legal concept of phallus in omnibus, false in one thing, false in everything when the senator from Connecticut lied shamelessly for years about his military service and then feeling grateful to Trump for having the simple nerve to point out the naked hypocrisy. And it goes on and on and on like that from Brett Stevens uh, writing an opinion column at the New York Times. And again, another example of somebody who has been a critical of the president, but who in this moment, being a person of good faith, being a person whose criticism has come from a, a desire to get after the truth, And affirm some sense of decency sees what the left is doing right now and says this is a bridge too far. This is something that cannot be tolerated. The 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 side of righteousness in this instance, in this moment, is clear, and I'm going to make sure I'm on the right side of it, the right side of the divide. We'll see you tomorrow night, nine to eleven, weeknights, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Broadcasting on AM eleven thirty.